Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, I told you I married this Cajun woman, and it's been the uh, honor, privilege, and tension of my life. Because uh, when you mix two people from you know, Alabama and Louisiana, there's some things that are just a lost cause. It doesn't matter how much I pray, then how much I intercede or fast, my wife will never say the words, roll tide. <laughs> it's a lost cause. It doesn't matter. How much she prays fast or seeks the face of God, she will never help my redneck family be able to properly pronounce pecan praline. (laughs) Pecans? No, mama. Pecans. (laughs) And God knows as much as I love the Lord and as long as I've walked with him, with all of his help and all of his grace, there's no way I can actually explain to anyone outside the state of Louisiana actually what boudin is. It's a lost cause. There's something about that term, though, a lost cause, right? Like, I'm talking about it, you're laughing about it, but somewhere in the recesses of your soul and your mind, when I say the words a lost cause, it strikes a nerve. It hits something deep within you. It's much more than a sports team or the way you say a phrase or something that you're familiar with or like, something about a lost cause brings up emotions. It stirs up past pain and past trauma. You begin to think about relationships or friendships, family members, financial opportunities that feel like a lost cause. Even for those of us who approach faith, whether you're kicking the tires of faith this weekend, you're newer to faith, you've been walking with Jesus for decades, we can have this mentality that when it comes to the life that Jesus actually wanted to give us, it feels like a lost cause. The Gospel of John in the second half of Scripture known as the New Testament, John 10, 10 says it this way, Jesus was speaking and he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now pause. I'm a little bit holy, a lot of bit hood, all right? Like, I can lay hands and throw hands at the same time, right? I'm a work in prayer of the first half of this passage and wake up every day going, what's the enemy going to try to do today? I bet you won't, devil. Like, I dare you today. Devil, you a lie, right? But if I'm not careful, I only camp out on the first half and I miss the promise of the second half that Jesus said, but I have come to give them life and life to the Oh, it sounds like heaven at the 11. Come on. Life to the full. Now, if ever there was a week that we could understand properly this terminology of full, it's this week, right? I mean, this week at Thanksgiving, you had greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes, ram, lamb, chicken, turkey, chicken, turkey, right? There's something about when you're full, and we know this around Thanksgiving because you get full and you think there's no way I have any room for more. But then what happens? Somebody walks in with sweet potato pie or they walk in with king cake and you go, I got a little bit more room, right? Now see, to actually understand this word full, I have to place it in its proper context. This word full is not that Jesus came to give me a life and a life to its most comfortable. 
It is not that Jesus came to give me a life and a life to its easiest. Because if that's what I expect, I miss the power of his promise. The actual definition of this word full when in its proper context is this, extraordinary or surpassing. Surpassing, extraordinary, beyond. You know, James, you already, you already told me that there's tension between loving God and feeling like his plan for my life can be a lost cause. Now it feels further. No, friends, you have to understand that when God calls us to the extraordinary, he calls us to leave behind the ordinary. We are not built for the confines of comfort or to acclimate to average. That is what our culture would have us do, is to blend in instead of stand out. But Jesus never just gave us a picture. He always gave us a path and a plan. When he said that he came to give us life and life to the full, he then would give us what it looked like. Jesus, after living the life that we could not live, dying the death we deserve because of our own sin and separation from God, was raised to new life. He gathered his closest friends, the disciples, on this mountain. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he gave them what we call today the Great Commission. He said this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gives us the picture of a full life, but then also gives us attached to it a purpose? The purpose to a full life is to what? Is to go and make disciples. You know, there's times in church where we use these biblical words and we trip over them like barriers. Because I use the word disciple and you go, James, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if I can make disciples. Can I give us a, a definition of disciple making? It's when I attach something I'm passionate about to somebody I'm purposed for. I go, no, no, I'm passionate about this thing, and now that purpose will be attached to it. I, I'm going to take you on the journey for what it is that I'm most passionate about. Jesus said, no, go and make disciples. Go and translate this passion you have into the people that you long to care for. Around this time of year, it's kind of easy for us to get wrapped up in the Christmas narrative, but forget the full story. Here's what I mean by that. It would be easy for us to think that Jesus started as a baby in Bethlehem. So you're like, yeah, no, that's, that's where the story starts, sir. That is it. No, no, no. Jesus did not start as a baby in Bethlehem as a son of a carpenter. He started as the king of kings, seated in a high place, in a heavenly place, where he was wrapped in holy glory, where he was righteous and nothing that was unrighteous could draw near to him. But he saw fit to live a life that wouldn't be a lost cause, but would be a cause for the loss. He wrapped himself in human flesh and bone. He descended from a heavenly place to earth, looked like us, but didn't live like us, so he could redeem everything about us back to the heart of God. Oh, see, friends, this weekend, we're talking about a lost cause. Lost cause. Jesus does this, but in doing so, he would get titles that he never longed for, but he knew that he would have to wear. They would say things about Jesus like he's a friend of sinners. Now, if you've been around church a while, you're acclimated to this terminology. You're like, yeah, that's exactly what he was called. And you take joy or pride in that because you know that him becoming a friend of sinner meant that I could become a son or you could become a son or daughter of God. But back then, in that cultural moment, when Jesus descends to this planet 
and he says, I'm the son of God, when he's doing signs, wonders, and miracles, things that are only performed by God's hand and God's power, people would say there's no way he's God's son because he's close to those people. And Jesus didn't correct them. Instead, he taught them. There's a moment in Luke chapter 15 in the second half of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is having a dinner party, and this is what it says in, in verse number one. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, I love this, when people got something to say and they can't say it with their full voice, but they just whisper it to themselves. And he said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But Jesus understood the inclination of their heart, and he has something to teach them. First of all, can we recognize this awkward dinner party? Let me help you with who is here. I said tax collector. And many of us go, oh, the IRS was there. No, no, no. No, the tax collector at that day and that time amongst Jewish people would have been the most notorious of sinners. Because a Jewish man would have been employed by the Roman Empire to oppress his own people by putting taxation on them. So he would gain money from the Jewish people for the Roman Empire, but catch this, he would take it a step further and pad his own pockets with a little extra. You're like, man, that's a bad dude. You got tax collectors, you got sinners, people who are outside the purpose and plans of God, but then you have Pharisees there. And the Pharisees, listen, these were, these were men who had spent their entire lives trying to keep the laws. There would have been hundreds of laws. Every day they would have woke up and tried to keep every single law. And they thought that somehow their performance could lead them to nearness with God. But they were so focused on doing the good things that they missed the God man. Oh man, if I'm not careful, I can easily find myself in the seat of a Pharisee trying to do the good things to get to the God man. But Jesus sits amongst them, teachers of the law, Pharisees, tax collectors and sinners, and they mutter to themselves, not that we're bad and we need him, but no, we're so good, but why would he sit with them and those people? Why would he draw near to those? Those people are a loss cause. I traveled all the way from Denver, Colorado this weekend to talk to us about what it would look like to live a life that was a lost cause. Jesus responded to them with an instruction. The way he does that is a parable. Luke chapter 15 and verse 3 says, and he responded to them with a parable. This is the most compassionate reply that Jesus could have given. What he's about to do is unpack a deep and profound principle and biblical truth that they can only understand with their human hearts in the form of a story. And so Jesus begins to teach them. I have three short points and I'll be on my way this weekend. The first one is this, is that Jesus had to teach them to care, to count, to care, to count. No, it's not lost on me, the irony that you think it's ironic that a boy from Alabama would include counting in his message. <laughs> Care to count? Jesus begins to unpack the story, and this is what he says. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. You're like, that's a stretch already. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Wouldn't he leave the 99 other sheep in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Undoubtedly, every time we read this passage in church and every time that I've ever said this verse to someone, here's what happens. They nod at me and they go, yes, I would. And they're lying, which is bad because every time you lie in church, a unicorn dies. So don't do it. Okay. 
You go, James, no, I would leave the 99 for the one. I would do it. No, you wouldn't. I know I wouldn't do it academically. On an academic level, I know that I would not leave 99 for one because I graduated with my master's degrees, and I know this, that A's, B's, and C's all get degrees, period. And I had gotten a 79 before and said, thank you, Jesus. I don't even care about the 24 other points. They were like, help him, Jesus. That's Alabama math. I know it's 21. Don't judge me, okay? Why? Because we, we are more inclined to live average and be comfortable with what we're left over with. I don't want the full life. Oh, Jesus, if the full life means I got to do something about this great commission, I'd rather treat it like the great suggestion and just live average. But a lost cause, a lost cause said, no, I got to do something about it. I got to care to count. A shepherd would have counted, would have been like one, two, three, four, would have got to 99 and go, where, where is that lost one? Where's the, where's the last one? Now, in this story, we don't get a name for the sheep and we don't get the biography of the sheep. But many of us in our human hearts, we want to know. We want to know about this lost sheep. So let's name the lost sheep, the lost lamb. Let's name him Larry this weekend, Larry. Because Mary had a little lamb. And the little lamb's name was Larry. Larry wandered off. But you and I want to know before I search for Larry, I want to know a little about Larry's story. Did Larry wander off? Was Larry taken? Was Larry doing what he's always done? Was this a mistake or on purpose? You want to know at some core level of your humanity, was Larry good or was Larry bad? You want to know. <laughs> You're so mad that you laughed at that, sir. <laughs> I know you are. I'm talking to you. I know you're mad at that. You're mad at yourself. You want to know, are they good or bad? And listen, here's the reason why we want to know it. We want to know it because I want to judge the sheep based on how everybody else used to judge me. No, you don't understand. I'm not giving them grace. Do you know, you know the last time I did that, what they did to me? Oh, they didn't give me a second chance. They, they, didn't, they didn't come looking for me. They didn't count me in. See, because a shepherd counts different because a shepherd cares different. And the condition of the sheep never determines the care of a shepherd. Whether the sheep is good or bad, did it on purpose or by mistake, does not matter to the shepherd because the shepherd is only caring about one thing, where is the sheep that I lost? Shepherd cares different, so a shepherd counts different. And not just mathematically, not just in sequential order. No, no, no. A shepherd cares, meaning the posture of the heart of a shepherd is different. So somebody might count this sheep ba out based on what they did, but a shepherd would count them in based on whose they are. Wait, just for a moment, at the correctional facility, let me talk to you because they're not ready to have church in here just yet. I don't know what you did, but you're not who they say you are. You're not a number. You got a name. You're a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. You're his. You are not your worst mistake, your worst day. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a masterpiece, beautifully and wonderfully made. He has good plans for you, and he has not given up on you. I wish I had five people this weekend that would say, I'm glad he didn't give up on me. I'm going to tone it down. Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Yo, man, you're really, uh, you really passionate about your pontification this morning. No, I just know where he found me. 
Oh, no, no, no. You, you look and you see a pastor with a microphone. I still remember a broken young boy around the age of 10 to 12 years old that was dealing with physical, emotional, verbal, and sexual abuse. Some happening at the hands of people inside of church. So I stuffed it down as a secret and hid it for years until at 17, all of the trauma, all of the pain came raging out and it did so in the form of alcohol and prescription drugs. At the age of 17, I found myself homeless living in the back of a Ford Explorer. Had nowhere to go, I had cut off family, I had been cut off by family. I felt worthless. If I could describe it to you in one word, I didn't have the terminology of anxiety or depression in that season. All I felt on the inside was discardable. I felt like I didn't matter and I did not count. And I'll never forget the night that God sent a shepherd looking for me. A man named Neil knocked on my window of a Ford Explorer. He knocked on the door, on the window and goes, hey James, come on, you, you're gonna come to our house? I said, man, I'm good. He goes, Obviously, you're not. I begin to argue with him. See, sometimes the sheep fights back, but you don't fight with the sheep, you fight for it. See, tough love wasn't to tell me how bad my circumstances was. Tough love was to tell me how good my God was. And he said, James, I need you to understand you have a purpose and a plan that God has for your life. And I go, man, I've ruined that. At best, I could get plan B or C that God has for my life. And he said, no, you need to understand that God's plan is always above man's plan and that God only has plan A for your life. He hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on him. You gotta care to count. You gotta care to count this weekend. Number two is this. You gotta chase to connect. Chase to connect. This is where you don't just talk about it, you gotta be about it. Jesus in this story says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them, wouldn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after him, search for him until he finds it? You ever search for your keys, you search high and low, you got an Apple tag on it, you've done everything you can and you just can't find it? You just keep searching? Maybe you've lost something more valuable I remember several years ago, my now seven-year-old Grayson, she's about three years old, and we were having a barbecue in Alabama, and everybody's having a good old time, boy, <laughs> we're just out there. You're like, whoa, that switched up real fast. That's too natural for you. We're having a good time, man. Everybody's over at the house. I mean, just packed, big house, my friend's house. And I remember we're looking around, and I look, look around me for a minute, I can't find Grayson, so I did what any compassionate, caring, wise father would do, I went in the house and I asked my wife, have you seen Grayson? <laughs> to which she responded, he's with you. I said, I know, I was just checking to make sure you knew that I knew that he was with me. So then I snuck outside and I go, hey Grayson, <laughs> G baby. <laughs> I, I started asking a few people quietly. They'd be like, no man, I haven't seen you. Like, whoa, 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 talk in a hushed tone. <laughs> I want my wife to hear you. I look for like three or four minutes, but all of the parents in the room know this. We have the ability to go from zero to 100 real quick when you lose a kid. Oh, I'm talking about you will be outside your mind looking in the craziest of places. I wasn't looking in the yard anymore. I'm looking in the washer, behind the toilet, in the shower. You're looking everywhere you can, right? 
And so we get the whole search party together. Now the whole party is a search party. We're all looking, Grayson, where's Grayson? We're looking for him. We looked for 37 minutes. We couldn't find him. So now I got one son named Braxton. <laughs> the chase to connect. You laugh at it because you know I have to search for him until I find him. Otherwise, that would make me a bad father. But if I'm not careful, as a follower of Jesus, I can be way too comfortable being a bad friend. Searches until he finds it. Listen, I can come up with a list of excuses, internal and external barriers as to why I can't find them. Oh, internal barriers. James, I tried before. I reached out to them. I called them on Tuesday at two o'clock when I knew they were still at work. I let it ring once. Was going to leave a voicemail, but hung up. I tried. No, I told a friend's friend's friend to, to look for them, and they hadn't seen them, and so I don't know where they are. No, 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 friend. Searches until he finds them. I got internal barriers, fear of rejection. James, if I go after them again and I find them, what if they tell me I'm crazy? James, I got, I got fear of the thing happening again, a repetitive cycle and a relational trauma. I don't want them to disappoint me again. I got a fear of failure or failed expectations. All of these are real. I'm just saying in light of all that God has done for us, would we be willing to search until we find this weekend? Where is it that your friend, the lost sheep, has wandered off to? Oh, when I finally found Grayson, we, we get to the driveway. There's this little toy house, a little plastic roof. I run up to it. I'm like, there's no ways in there. I rip off the toy roof. There's this three-year-old Grayson. He looks up at me. <laughs> right? There's a split second where as a dad, you want to get upset. But you can't because that was just a kid being a kid. I got to be careful not to get mad at lost people for being lost people. When they ask you what you want to be when you grow up, when I was in kindergarten and first grade, I never wrote down on a piece of paper, I want to end up homeless. I want to end up with an addiction. I want to end up an alcoholic. Your friend that is lost never set out with the intention of being the lost sheep. What happened? Life happened. Brokenness and pain happened. What God calls me to do is to have enough compassion on them to go after them. Where are they this week? Where is it that they're at? Are they at the dope house again? They, they went back to that same doctor and you know where they are and they're going to fill the prescription and maybe, just maybe, you know it and instead of judging them or justifying why you're not interjecting, you race to the place and you stand in front of the door of the pharmacy and say, I know that you think this is the way, but I know a man who will heal every part of your body. He can heal internal pain and external pain. You go down to the corner bar where you know that Larry's sitting on the stool again. You're like, Larry's doing it again. He's down there getting hammered at the corner bar. I know he is. And instead of judging him, you know what I do? I, I go down there, I pull up a seat next to him. You order yourself so many Diet Cokes, your bladder's about to bust. And you sit there and you go, Larry, I'm not going to shame you because I don't shame lost sheep. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you until you're ready to return home and recognize that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. 
I'm gonna chase till we connect. At a deeper level, anybody can stop at the barrier of the thing. But the believer says, I have a great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. I won't give up on you because God hasn't given up on me. Point number three is I got to choose to celebrate. Choose to celebrate. If we do the work and never throw the party, we'll miss out on the fact that we're not participating fully with heaven. If we do the work and never throw the party, we'll miss out on the fact that we're not fully participating with heaven. That's why this weekend when people come up out of that water, we celebrate and we throw a party. It's not just a cheering section. We are echoing from heaven to earth that heaven says that right there is a lost soul that has come home. That's the beauty of what we get to do. Jesus has been building this narrative throughout the whole story. Pharisees are looking at him like, what? The sinners are going, maybe. Tax collectors going, I need to talk to you after this. Like they're all having a moment. And Jesus builds and then he goes this way. He says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now theologians and historians would tell you something significant about a shepherd. That a shepherd, once he found Larry the lost lamb, would have likely wounded the legs so that Larry couldn't run off again. Now that can sound harsh unless you understand the true compassion and the depth of love that Jesus has for lost sheep. It means that I'll make sure you can't run off back to the thing that you used to go to anymore. Here's what that means. It means that there are some things in my life that I have to drop so you don't get lost again. Listen, would you permit me the relational equity that I do not deserve? Would you treat me as a, a friend and family member? Pretend we've been friends for six years. You would like me by then. I still say roll tide, but you'd love me in Jesus' name, okay? There's this old word in church we used to call holiness. I know it's been misused a lot of times, but for this weekend, can I help us? Holiness is simply this. I'm going to love Jesus and live for him in such a way that it causes you to love him more. More than what, James? More than the thing that got you lost in the first place. Here's what that means. It may be permissible for me to do, but if it's going to cause you to get lost again, I don't need it. I don't need it. That thing, that thing that you used to do, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. Why? because I don't want you to end up lost. Maybe it's not your thing. Listen, I'm asking you this weekend, stop justifying what is good or bad and just ask yourself, is it beneficial for the kingdom of God and does it help lost sheep come back home? What if that was our definition for holy this weekend? And he says, and when he finds it joyfully, puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Okay, would you go back in time with me just for a moment? I need you to pretend for a moment. Jesus is telling the story. He goes, hey, guys, I found Larry. I got him. Oh, see, that's, that's what happens. But see, you cheered for Larry because of the story I told you about Larry. Catch this. If we're really going to live a life, a lost caused life, it means I got to be careful the story I tell about the lost sheep. Otherwise, it's really hard for people to rejoice when he returns home. Scripture says in Revelation, we overcome the enemy that wants to still kill and destroy our lives by the blood of the Lamb. That's the sacrifice of Jesus. 
You did nothing to earn it or deserve it. He freely gave it. And the word of our testimony, that's my participation with his power. That's saying when, when my mess happened, he put his grace on it and I got a new label. Mess became message. Test became testimony because of his grace. But if I share everybody's story when they're in the first half, it makes it hard for all my friends to rejoice in the second half. Can I make it real practical this weekend? Just for the church folk. I love you. Be careful that when people ask you where Randy is, hey, where's Randy? I already was out there doing his thing again. Let me give you the line. If Randy's not come home yet, here's what you say. Not my story to tell. Hey, did you see what Susie posted on Facebook? Not my story to tell, because until he is redeemed, renewed, and restored her story, it's not ready to be shared. A testimony is a testimony of God's goodness, despite the dirtiness and grittiness of my past. We're all just people in process, needing God's power. And then he mic drops him. He says, I'll tell you the same way. I'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is wild. Remember the Pharisees who spend every day keeping the hundreds of laws, who thought it's good or bad people who get to God? Then Jesus drops the mic and says this, no, no, no. It's not about good or bad. In the kingdom of God, it's dead or alive. We all, despite how moral or ethical you are, despite your level of finances or education, without Jesus, we are dead in sin and we need a good shepherd to find us and bring us home. What would it like for us to do that this week? To go and tell a friend, a loved one, you go, James, okay, I'm ready to share my faith. Do I get the sandwich board and the megaphone in the lobby? I'll go downtown, God hates you. No, number one, no one ever fell in love with someone they thought hated them. A world that's dying and desperately fears God needs to know that he loves them and has a plan for them. Number two, so recognize that God's already equipped you. Many of us aren't sharing our faith because we're fearful for how to do it. As a matter of fact, there was a study that just came out that said 82% of people who don't go to church would go to church if a friend invited them to church. Let me break it, 82%, how much? 82% of people say they go to church if a friend that went to church would invite them to church. Only 2% of people who go to church ever invite their friend. God, just uh, change that. You're not bad. This weekend you got fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure. And many of us, we build up this whole thing. This is how we share our faith. Hey, real quick, do you got, you got a second? I don't, I don't mean to bother you. I don't want to press you with my beliefs. I want you to know I respect wherever you are and whatever you believe and whoever you believe in and whatever you believe about. But just before we talk, could I just have a moment and just maybe possibly if it doesn't offend you, could I tell you, I've done so many disclaimers, they're on the defensive. We just got a new puppy named Shakira. She's a beautiful Frenchie. And when she eats, she wiggles. Her hips don't lie. And you know what's crazy about this beautiful Frenchie? I never tell people a story. You know what I do? I'll just be like, we got a new puppy. And I'll take my phone, it's my phone, and I'll go, oh my goodness, do you wanna see my new puppy? And they're like, yeah. And I go, okay, you ready? Look, this is a picture of my new puppy, Shaq. Look, you're, oh, that was an invisible picture. It's not even a real phone. And you went, oh, why? You tend to love what, your people that you love, love. I love what you love. 
So what would it look like this week? For some, I don't have all the words. I don't know all the right things. I don't, that Leviticus thing, whoo, it's tough. I don't understand. Like Revelation, I need to talk to Pastor Jacob. I don't understand. Take this picture of what God's done in you. And you say, I don't know all the right things to say, but this is what he did in me. And I'm telling you, he saved me, found me, cleaned me when nobody else could or would. That's the God I serve. I, all I got's a picture. I don't know enough, James. Neither did they. Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, two verses before what I read to you about the Great Commission. Remember, going all the world. You're like, James, I just don't know if I can do it. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some, some doubted. You got doubts? Me too. I just decided I'll doubt my doubts and believe my beliefs. But there becomes power to expand the kingdom of God when you see the next half of the passage. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that authority of heaven, he gives to you. How? In the form of the Holy Spirit, who gives you power, courage, and catch this, one of the adjectives of Holy Spirit is comforter. That means the full life will be extraordinarily uncomfortable. But he has given me a comforter to be uncomfortable in situations and conversations. 82%. 82%, eight out of 10 of your friends who desperately need the good news of Jesus will come to church if you just invite them. I'm asking you this weekend to move some barriers. <clears throat> you go, James, I don't remember all three points. You don't need to. You're a part of OSC. Let me give you the three points and the only two that you'll ever need to remember. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna reach people and build lives. That's it. We'll reach people and build lives. How do you go after lost people? You reach people and build lives. Why are we going to... Platteville, Ville Platt, Youngsville, Abbeville. Why are we going all over Acadiana? Because we're gonna reach people and build lives. As long as they're lost sheep, our church has work to do. We must expand. We must do whatever it takes at whatever cost to reach the lost. Let me tell you why I'm so passionate about that. I'm passionate about that this weekend because of a story I know about a pastor in South Louisiana the pastor in South Louisiana. He had come across a family. They had hit really hard times. There was a lot going on. They were struggling to make ends meet. There was a mom and dad, and there were four kids, three boys and one little girl. In the midst of all that, there were times where they couldn't get enough money to make ends meet and get groceries. So that pastor would step in and help. There was a, a time where they had no place to stay, and that pastor stepped in and and got them a hotel that they could stay in so they could be safe and have roof over their head. He would end up hiring that lady to work as part of his ministry in the church. He would provide daycare for the two youngest kids and the two oldest kids he would permit to go to the church where they could be a part of what their mom was doing. It was there that they would experience the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. They would experience church and ministry in its purest form that it was to reach people and build lives. That was Pastor Jacob Aranza. That woman was my mother-in-law. And that little girl who saw the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and fell in love with ministering to lost people has become my wife. You're reaching people and you're building lives across the street and around the world. OSC, we're just getting started. Our best days are in front of us. Today we simply say, God, whatever we have, it's yours. I'm gonna ask you all over this room, 
on site and online, would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment? I'm gonna ask two questions. I wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna stand you up or call you out. I'm gonna give you privacy. But this moment can be powerful if it becomes personal. You're here today and you go, James, I'm a lost sheep. I'm a lost sheep and I desperately need to say yes to Jesus. You did not find him, he found you. He has marked this day on his calendar since the dawn of time. He has been desperately searching for a moment to let you know he's not judging you, he's loving you, and he wants to welcome you home. You're not joining a church, you're joining a family this week. If that's you, it's as simple as believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. What I'm gonna ask you to do is simply this, is to raise your hand. And I'm gonna ask you, when you raise your hand, I'm gonna pray for you. Are you ready? You believe in your heart. You know it's your moment. Don't miss this weekend. It's time to come home, lost sheep. One, two, three, right where you're at. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Whole row, I see you. Come on, I see you. I see you in the back, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. More than that, heaven sees you and God welcomes you home. Before I pray, the second group of people, you're here. You're a follower of Jesus. And this is your weekend to say, I'm not keeping this a secret anymore. What he's done in me, I'm going to share with the world around me. I need the Holy Spirit. I need his power to help me this week to have courage. James, I need moments that I know this is it. This is the conversation. And I'll make the invitation. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand right now, right where you're at? I see you. I see you. Come on. God, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for Jesus. While we were still sinning far off, opponents of your grace and mercy, you sent him to redeem us and reconcile this relationship. God, I'm thankful we don't come to you today based on our performance, but based on your grace and your mercy. Thank you for loving us and sending Jesus. For my friends who are choosing for the first time or first time in a long time to say yes to a relationship with you, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill their lives and they would never be the same. I pray this week they would share this decision with someone around them. God, it would be personal, but it would no longer be private. They would trust you with their story and their test would become that testimony. And for my friends who are your followers, our family, I pray that today they would begin the process of the Great Commission of sharing with their neighbor, their family member, lost loved one. God, that we wouldn't just see sheep equipped this weekend, but we would see shepherds equipped this weekend. That we would be equipped for a lost cause. God, we thank you for what you've done in our Savior's church. For decades, you've been expanding your kingdom. You've been reaching people and building lives, and I pray today that God, you would continue to do that, that our latter would be greater than our former, that our best is ahead of us, and that the lost people of Acadiana will know your son Jesus because we give what it takes to see your church expanded. We thank you for it. In the name above every name, the name of our hope and liberating King, in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give Pastor James a hand. Do you appreciate that word? There you go. Yes, sir. All right, you can be seated a moment. If you were not here last week with us, I want you to pick up your legacy card. Remember, we asked you for two things. Number one, to list your greatest need, your greatest need, whatever that is. And then on this side, your single greatest one-time pledge between now, to be fulfilled between now and March 1st. Now look at me. 
How many of you got saved or came to start coming to church at the Lafayette campus? Raise your hand. Do you know why you're here? Because people in Broussard filled this out and attached their greatest need to their greatest gifts so you could sit here today. Every time God changes someone, you know that the story that he told? It was 40 years ago. Angie, stand up right here. Here's Miss Dora, that's his mother-in-law that I led their family to Christ. God restored their marriage. Father became the director of Teen Challenge. Two of his sons became pastors and his daughter is this gorgeous Cajun princess. Stand up and raise your hand, wave over them right now. You don't ever know what God's gonna do when you obey him. This morning at the 745, I'm walking by and a girl grabs me. She's on the back wall with a whole row of people beside her. She goes, Pastor, Pastor. I said, what? She goes, my greatest need last week is that my family would come to church and they've never come. I didn't even invite them and they all came this morning. They're right here. So I want to challenge you. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for your single greatest need. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that. And we're going to stand with you for your children and your grandchildren, your sons and your daughters, your loved ones, your family and your friends. And the reason we're going to have seven services on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day is on Monday. So Christmas Eve, we're going to start having, well, actually day before Christmas Eve, Saturday, we're going to have two services on Saturday. We're going to have five services on Sunday so that you can invite all of your friends. Come on, take the pictures. There they are. So you can invite all of your friends. Because remember what he said, eight out of 10 of them will come if you just, if you just invite them. We begin our marriage, our Christmas series uh, next week called The Gift. It's going to be a powerful series leading all the way up to that weekend when I'm going to be preaching a message. We're going to have candlelight communion at each of the services and I'm going to be preaching a message only Jesus. And it is so powerful. I got, I got the free songs thinking about it right now. So I want to pray for you for your single greatest need. First of all, how many of you have loved ones that need Jesus? Come on. How many got family that desperately needs Jesus? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for them right now that you would invite them during this time. And I'm going to pray for every need. At the end, the worship team's going to come up and our ushers are standing here. Would you bring your card, drop it off? If you prayed to receive Christ with Pastor James today, fill up that Get Connected card. Just say, I prayed to be born again. Leave that in your seat and someone will come by and pick it up. The rest of you, the legacy cards, we'd like you to come up and drop them off up front. Hey, if you're still praying about what to do, that's okay. We're gonna continue doing this for the next couple of weeks to give everyone an opportunity. Look at me, church. Can you believe we've been given $9 million in a matching grant? Look at me. Thank you for your trust. Thank you for standing and believing in this house. Thank you for trusting our pastors and our leaders, our elders, that we will be wise stewards of what you've given to us and that we'll continue to see the Jesus resurrect lives, the addicted set free and pride, poverty and prejudice broken in Acadiana. It is because of you. Thank you. We never, ever, Michelle and I never, ever, ever take that for granted. Never. So Father, right now for every single name, many of these cards are going to have a son or a daughter. 
as Michelle's and I's have for many, many years until they got off of this card and got on platforms preaching your word. Lord, many of them are gonna be grandchildren. Many are gonna be husbands and wives. You are the God that raises the dead. There is nothing impossible for you. There's nothing impossible for you. And so we unite and stand together with them for every single need that you would surround them, that you would empower them. And we join together and partner in faith with them. We believe that many of them are going to come to, to, to service with them over this Christmas season and that you're going to have a divine encounter with them. This is going to begin the life transformation of them being raised from the spiritually dead, just as James was, just as each of us here were, just as the Dore family were. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, the worship team's going to come. It's great to have my niece in, Catherine, from Hope City, where she leads worship in Houston here. It's great to have her and great to have the Bailey family. These, all of these, this, let's see here, where's, yeah, here. These are all brothers. There, there, and there. And you know why they're here? Because they got a mom and daddy that drugged them into the house of God every time. They were here earlier today. All brothers, all leading worship, all in ministry. All right. So would you begin the song? And then I'm going to dismiss you. Just one stanza into it. If you have your legacy card, please come and bring that. Again, if you pray to be born again, just leave that right there. Go ahead. We'll see you next week as we begin our Christmas series, The Gift.